0: You are listening to Australia's Tax News Podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals.
1: Welcome to episode 107 of Tax Talks. This is Heidi Robson and thank you to Class for sponsoring this episode. The R&D Tax Incentive is about to change. On 20th of September 2018, the government introduced draft legislation to Parliament. Simon Dorovich of ANA Tax Legal Consulting in Melbourne does a lot of work around international but also corporate tax issues, including the R&D Tax Incentive. So I asked Simon what the change is about. Yes, Simon.
2: these proposed changes their genesis goes back to a review the ferris finkel fraser review this is now quite a number of years ago the government has been i guess working towards this for a long time and i don't think they'll give up easily but certainly they may need to uh, do a bit of horse trading to to actually get it through the Ferris Finkel Fraser review, I think Mr. Finkel, I think it was the the chief, possibly still is the chief scientist. So it was a review. The government said we're we're spending a lot of money on uh, on this R and D tax incentive, and I think I've got a statistic here. In the sixteen seventeen year, the cost of the government was more worth approximately three billion dollars. So now it's presumably. More, yeah, more than three billion, which certainly not a, a small amount. So they said, well, let's conduct a review. And basically, the two focuses of the review, would be more than just these two things, but if I had to identify two, yeah, you know, they would be how can we keep the costs under control, and how can we more focus the the incentive on encouraging additional R and D expenditure? Because you know, if we're giving The whole point of the R&D tax incentive is that in the absence of this sort of government support, companies, Australian businesses are conducting a a below ideal levels of R&D. That R&D has these spillover benefits and it should be encouraged and without this support from the government, companies won't do enough. They want to encourage more. But there's a certain amount of R&D expenditure that would have been conducted anyway, but there's not much point to government to to give a benefit for the kind of R&D expenditure that would be conducted anyway. So part of the review's recommendations were try to encourage that extra R&D, that additional expenditure. So we've got two different offsets one if so if the entity has an aggregated turnover of less than 20 million then they're getting a refundable tax offset of forty three and a half percent that offset exceeds their tax payable then that surplus they get a, a deposit in their bank account if the entity has a aggregated turnover of 20 million dollars or more then the offset becomes non-refundable only reduce tax payable to nil, excess carried forward, and it's a rate of 38.5%. And there's a, a minimum expenditure threshold of $20,000 and a maximum expenditure threshold of $100 million. So that's just sort of briefly how things currently stand. And aggregated, I mentioned aggregated turnover. Aggregation looks at the same rules for the small business CGT concessions. Affiliates a, connected entities. Exactly right. So take those, if you have them, take their turnover into account as well. So in terms of what's new, maybe we'll go through entities with a turnover of less than $20 million first. The first sort of headline change is a reduction in the rate of the offset, or at least for the vast majority of entities with a turnover of $20 million. To be a base rate entities, as you know, have a tax rate currently at 27.5%. Now, those entities, so the change is that the offset rate will be pegged at 13.5% more than the company tax rate. So if you're on a 30% tax rate, then you're, you know, you're getting 43.5%. You're on the same offset rate that this change won't have any effect for you. But... You know, the vast majority of companies with a turnover of $20 million have base rate passive entity income. It's less than 80% of their total income and therefore their base rate entities. And they've got a tax rate of 27.5%. You add 13.5% to that, you're getting to 41%. So for those entities, there's a 2.5% reduction in in the benefit in the offset rate and the the benefit that they're getting Hmm. from claiming the R&D tax incentive.
1: But that 2.5%, maybe I'm wrong, I was thinking the 2.5% just corrects what kind of had been wrong before, because when the R&D tax incentive was designed, it was designed at A 30% tax rate, so this 2.5% kind of came through the back door when we lowered the company tax rate or the corporate tax rate so this is basically just correcting it now to what it was meant to be
2: So that's a fair comment
1: However, when they're in a tax loss position they receive less money now than they would have done under the old regime.
2: When they're in a tax loss position, the entire amount is refundable
1: And hence the lower amount will result in a lower tax refund That's right.
2: I completely see where you're coming from, from a, well, it's only a flow on effect of the the reduction in tax rate and the the benefit, the difference is still going back to what it was. But of course, those that are against the change see it as the bottom line is it's still a, a reduction in the benefit. They'd like to see the government maintaining or even increasing the the level of support and are not particularly happy by by this reduction, even if, as you say, it's uh, reasonable in in that context. The first thing to be aware of is the reduction in rate for base rate entities. The second thing I think is important to be aware of for entities with an aggregated turnover of less than $20 million is a cap on cash refunds. So there never used to be a cap. The entity could, well, I suppose effectively in the sense of the $100 million cap there was, but... Very few would have reached that. Yeah, an entity could spend $50 million on R&D and have no other income and expenditure, hypothetically, and get back uh, uh, 43.5%, which is obviously well over $4 million. If these changes become law and mm. the, this is part of the changes, then they'll be limited, the refund will be limited at $4 million. So and,
1: and I think that limit would especially hit the bigger entities. Well, actually, the, this $4
2: million cap, it applies to the smaller entities. It doesn't apply to the, ah, the yes. bigger entities.
1: That's why the smaller entities are hit harder, because the smaller entities have the $4 million cap and the larger entities don't.
2: Yes, that's right.
1: But that's quite unfair to give the small ones a cap and the large ones not. But then again, the large ones don't have a refundable tax offset. They only have an non-refundable tax offset, so that's... Yes,
2: and the, the $4 million cap is just for the refundable amount. So a smaller entity can still have an offset greater than $4 million, They just in any single year can't get more than $4 million of that. Refunded,
1: and then the difference they can't get refunded is carried forward.
2: Yes, I see. Although, interestingly, the legislation, the example that it it gives, is the carried forward amount actually, I guess, changes its characterisation. That in the following year, it's then treated as a non-refundable offset.
1: That makes sense. It means so once you exceed the four million cap. It's not refundable and will never be refundable, but you can carry it forward just as companies with an aggregated turnover over $20 million can do.
2: Yes. Yep. So if you were going to get a $5 million cash refund, that $1 million in the next financial year could reduce your tax payable down to nil, but it won't...
1: Result yeah, it won't. in a refund. Yeah,
2: exactly right. So so four million to give you an idea of $4 million expenditure... Nine point seven five million, yeah. approximately, multiplied by that forty-one percent offset rate gives you four million. So nine and three quarters million dollars worth of R and D expenditure will get you. Uh, and then this is obviously a simple example. Assume yes. You know, no, yes, no accessible income in a complete loss position. Yeah, just to give you an idea what sort yes. of money. We're,
1: but it still uh, sounds quite generous.
2: Four million dollars is uh, you know, certainly yeah, a, a, a very. I think. Well maybe it's just my personal experience but certainly few of my clients are getting refunds in excess of $4 million so it won't won't yeah. have any impact on them
1: and i can imagine most companies claiming the r&d tax incentive wouldn't get to the 4 million you know of course there would be a lot more smaller companies than larger companies
2: <laughs> yes yeah no yeah i no, i understand. yeah that, that's right yeah and there is a, an important uh, exception to the the $4 million cap and that's expenditure on clinical trials. So a clinical trial, it's all to do really with a medical trial. So if you're developing a new drug for to help improve human health, then that expenditure won't form part of the $4 million cap. So uh, let's say you had an example of an entity that had spent a total of $20 million on R&D and... Five million of that was on clinical expenditure, and the remaining fifty—sorry, uh, clinical trials. The remaining fifteen million was on other qualifying R&D expenditure, but not clinical trials. You would say two point zero five million, so forty-one percent of the five million spent on clinical trials, that's refundable. Then the. Applying 41% against the 15 million spent on other R&D, that gives you 6.15 million offset. Only the first four million of that is refundable under this new law.
1: And we are carrying forward 2.15 as a non-refundable offset to the following year.
2: Yes, that's right. If in the the following year there's a a tax liability of say one million dollars, then that one there's sufficient carried forward offset of greater than one million dollars so we can reduce the tax payable to nil but the excess won't be refunded as i said before it it changes its status from a refundable offset to a non-refundable offset but it just gets carried forward again eventually if there is sufficient taxable income it, it will be used up in time So now 20 million or more. Yeah, let's look at the bigger entities. They're currently getting a 38.5% offset and, and that's a, a flat rate regardless of the, the level of expenditure and how, what proportion of their total expenditure it makes up. But what they're doing is they're introducing what they call an R&D intensity percentage. I like to think of it like marginal individual income tax rates that as your personal taxable income goes up, your income goes into the next band, that income is taxed at a higher rate. Yeah, similarly as your R and D intensity range goes up, that R and D expenditure benefits from a an increasing offset rate. There's four bands, up to two percent, between two point Two percent, five percent, between five percent and ten percent, and greater than ten percent.
1: And how do I calculate the R and D intensity rate? I take R and D in comparison to total expenses. R and D expenses to total expenses.
2: Yeah, that's that's exactly right. So, so if we give an example of, I'm using big round numbers to make the percentages Easy. easier to follow. So, if we had a company that had 1 billion dollars of total expenditure and 150 million dollars of that was on eligible R&D. So that works out to an intensity total intensity percentage of 15%. You know 150 million divided by a billion. So the first 2% of that R&D intensity range is $20 million. And that gets an offset of 34%. Then you look at $20 million and $1 through to $50 million, that's the intensity range between 2 and 5% of total expenditure. That gets a, a greater offset, 36.5%, but we're still, for both these ranges, we're still below the current rate of 38.5%. These companies are, are worse off. But once we get to the between 5% and 10%, so going back to example, $50 million dollars and one to one hundred billion dollars. Million. One hundred million. One hundred million. million. That expenditure you we apply an offset rate of thirty-nine percent. And then the greater than ten percent, so here we're talking about one hundred million dollars and one to one hundred and fifty million dollars, that gets an offset rate of forty two point five percent. So it's now four percent greater. So in the example that I gave, the average offset rate is thirty nine percent. As you can see that entity is is a bit better off, but they've they've certainly spent a lot of money, money. with a quite a high intensity range to get there.
1: And one billion is an enormous amount of money. Are there any companies out there in the world who spend one billion on? Ah, oh, yeah, no, but it's total expenditure, not R and D, but total. Yes.
2: Yeah. So, so yeah. In my example, one billion was their total expenditure, and one hundred and fifty million was the, their R and D. The R and D expenditure, and and the reason one of the reasons why I picked one hundred and fifty million is to illustrate another change, which is an increase in the the maximum cap of R and D expenditure that you know qualifies for an offset of greater than uh, 30%. It used to be 100 million it will be increased to 150 million. And this is again sort of encouraging these bigger companies th- with very high amounts of R&D expenditure giving them greater benefits and at the expense of of smaller smaller companies. Hypothetically if the the entity here Had spent 160 million of the 1 billion, that extra 10 million, which is obviously part of an intensity range greater than 10%, wouldn't get a 42.5% offset. It would only get a 30% offset as a normal tax deduction. Well, I
1: believe it would still be an offset. I see. So anything in excess of the 150 million is still an offset, but it's reduced to 30%, and hence, hence, it's a nil nil position. You lose the tax deduction at 30% and you gain a tax offset at 30%.
2: Yeah, that, that's my understanding. I've never had a client that's, that's hit that that threshold.
1: It's a nice problem so, to have.
2: So I haven't, in practice, I haven't applied that particular law, but yeah, my understanding is it's still an offset, just one to put you in the same position.
1: medical trials or clinical trials were taken out of the 4 million camp do you think it was A because the pharmaceutical companies had good people lobbying for them B is it because we have a lot of jobs employed in medical research or is it C because we want to support the health and well-being of Australia and the wider world It's a good question,
2: and really I I would only be guessing. I I haven't read anything from somebody that's more, you know, informed or or connected than than I am. I think all those options are are realistic options.
1: Feedstock adjustment, maybe we don't need to discuss that because that only affects farmers, doesn't it?
2: No, the name would give that impression. Think of uh, chicken feed or something, yes. but it's it's not actually uh, what it means is where a company spends money on an R and D trial, and that produces goods that can be either put to productive use within the business or can actually be sold in the market. So, for example, if a wine maker is working on some new process of you know, some innovative technique in making wine, and they say, OK, well, this batch, we're going to try out an, our new methods, conduct a bit of an experiment, see what the results are, and the results are, you know, wine that's still drinkable and still saleable, and then they do, in fact, go and, and sell the product. They're getting a double benefit. They're getting the benefit of the offset and the benefit of the the sale proceeds. And these rules, and the clawback rules are are similar in that that's more to do with you spend money on the R&D expenditure, you qualify for the offset, but that also helps you qualify for a government grant. There again, you're getting that double benefit, the grant money and the, the tax offset benefit. And what the government, I guess, wants is they don't like you getting two benefits. <laughs> they just want you to to get the one. So they want to, I guess, claw back, recoup the R&D benefit. So the way it currently works, and it's it's quite complicated, but it's based on I guess a number of assumptions. An assumption that there's a 30% company tax rate. An assumption that the offset rate is 40%, which you know, at one point in time it, it was. And because of these assumptions, in some cases you know, too much is being clawed back and in some cases not enough. And the general aim of the changes to these to the clawback and the feedstock, which will be combined into one single regime, is to essentially put the company in the position of yeah, if I hadn't claimed the offset and, and got that the extra benefit for the part of the expenditure that's eligible for the grant or that's eligible for, uh, that produces feedstock, you yeah, these marketable goods and, that they can still sell or still use, you yeah, in the
1: business. So could the moral of the story be don't apply for other government grants while you're still in the R&D tax incentive program?
2: Well, the the government grant may be greater than what you would receive. Uh, The benefit Mm -hmm. may be greater than what you would receive through the R&D tax incentive. And it may be that only some portion of your R&D tax expenditure is eligible for the grant. Uh, So it's still worth... Considering? Yeah, going through the process of getting the grant and getting the, the offset. Yeah. But if it was a case where all of your expenditure on the, the incentive was eligible for a grant, in that case, it, it may be worth going for the grant, but not the offset.
1: Yes. So it depends. One needs to look at each particular case.
2: Yes, So one change is changes to Part 4a. Part 4a, there needs to be a scheme, there needs to be a tax benefit, and the dominant purpose, or I forget the exact phrasing now off the top of my head, but if there's no tax benefit, then Part 4a can't apply. And tax benefit is defined in the legislation. It's a reduction in income or an increase in deductions. And
1: it also includes the tax offset.
2: Yes, well, actually... It includes a foreign income tax offset, for example, but it doesn't currently include an R&D tax incentive offset. That's a bit of a a loophole, uh, I suppose, and one of the changes that the legislation proposes would be to specifically list the R&D tax incentive offset as a tax benefit. So if there's some sort of scheme that a company is entering into with a you know, sort of dominant purpose of trying to get the R&D tax incentive part 4a may now now apply to prevent the company from getting that that benefit some changes to the ability to grant to receive an extension of time so at the moment to lodge an application to claim the offset before you can report your r&d expenditure through the r&d schedule to the company tax return you have to get a number from Industry to say your projects are eligible so you have to apply to ausindustry you know give them details of of what activities you've done and why they're they meet the definition of core or supporting activities. And if you're successful, you get that number. And the deadline for application is 10 months after the end of the company's financial year. You with substituted accounting periods, then it's after within 10 months of that date, so not necessarily 30th of June. Some companies are being given extensions to look their applications well after that 10-month deadline or the deadline may be to supply further information if you perhaps you've put in your application and they request something further from you and say give us that information within x number of days and you may request extra time to do that and again apparently some very very long extensions were being granted so the government wants to restrict the ability of Of um, innovation and science Australia to to grant those extensions, and it will be three months. Will be the the new cap, the new maximum. So
1: ten months plus three months.
2: Yes, the exception to that three month rule is if the failure to meet it is as a result of pending decision. So if you, for example, apply for an overseas finding, and Oz Industry, the relevant body, takes a very, very long time to respond to that application then, and that causes you to go over that 10 months plus 3 months, that's OK. But if it's for some other reason, perhaps important staff members have a, a leadership role in the R&D activities that you conduct or, you know, the the advisors that you use, they're, they're, they're sick, uh, they can't meet the deadline because of that, it seems under the for proposed changes that's that's just... Better luck. luck. yeah the rationale, as I understand it, as has been explained to me, is that where there's very, very long extensions, there's an increased risk that those companies are the ones that would have applied and received the conducted those companies are the ones that would have conducted the r and d activities anyway, even in the absence of the the offset. and given that one of the the goals is to encourage that additional R&D expenditure, it was a way to, I guess, reduce Iranian costs while still sort of targeting it on that companies that wouldn't have conducted the R&D expenditure if not for the offset. That's at least uh, apparently the, the thinking behind this new rule.
1: And the government will provide increased resources to the ATO and OS Industry? Department of Industry is OS Industry, isn't it?
2: OS Industry is under the
1: Department of Industry. Yeah.
2: So, more resources, I suppose, mean one, greater enforcement activity, greater likelihood of, I suppose, being audited, but two, also, not just the, the stick side of things, but the, the carrot, more, you know, more help, more publications, more guidance to help those who want to to make a claim and understand what what are the the requirements. After two years, and initially there wasn't this two year delay, it was just as soon as practicable, but now after two years, as soon as practicable, the Commissioner will publish, presumably somewhere on the ATO website, just uh, some information about the entities that are claiming the, the offset. Their name, their ABN, or if they don't have an ABN, their ACN, and their notional deductions adjusted for the uh, feedstock expenditure that we talked about earlier. I think it's to give the public better understanding of who is benefiting from, from this offset, I suppose ultimately it's taxpayers that are, that are footing the bill, and it's you know, seen to be in the public interest that they, they see who's, who's benefiting from it. Uh, and I'm sure as much as companies may not like their competitors seeing how much they're spending on R&D, I'm sure they'll appreciate being able to see, uh, yes, obviously subject to a two-year delay, you know, what their competitors are spending and seeing, are we in line with that or are we spending more or less?
1: Welcome back. So the changes Simon went through were introduced into Parliament in September 2018. If enacted as currently drafted, the changes will apply from 1st of July 2018. So retrospectively. In the next episode, episode 108, Simon Dorowicz will talk about the tax concessions for investors in early stage innovation companies. Until then, thank you for listening and thank you to Class for the support. Bye for now.